Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Riches are neither good nor evil. Riches are, are neutral. They're not good or evil. It just depends on your attitude toward them and what you do with them. Now, I've heard people misquote the Bible saying, money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 10, verses 17 through 34, in a message titled, Jesus and the Rich Man. Now, here's Pastor Brian. All right, so we're making our way through the Gospel, and we've come to the verses that we've read, and I've entitled the message, Jesus and the Rich Man. And so we're going to really be looking at just that whole subject of of riches and what is the relationship between uh, a Christian and money and, and things like that. All three synoptic gospels, that would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have the story that we just read. So we read it from Mark, Matthew and Luke both tell the same story. But as you piece together the information from all three Gospels, there are some things that we learn about this person that we don't learn from Mark. And one of them is that the obvious thing is that he was rich. But what we learn from Matthew is that he was young as well. And uh, what we learn from Luke is that he was actually a ruler. And so we commonly call this, even in your Bible, if you have a heading over the portion of Scripture, it probably says the rich young ruler. And that's because as you look at the composite, that's what he was. The fact that it is told in all three Gospels reminds us of how important it is that we know what the mind of Jesus is on the subject of riches and wealth. So that this is a very important topic. It appears, like I said, all three Gospels. So shows us the, the importance of it. I think this message is especially relevant because of the affluent culture that we find ourselves in. We're both the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, and the youngest billionaire in the world, Kylie Jenner, are role models for many. So, many in our culture are conditioned to love money. And yet Jesus warned of the dangers of riches. Now, you might find it surprising to note that Jesus warns about the perils of covetousness, which is, you know, the love of money. Uh, He warns about the perils of covetousness 10 times more than he warns about the evils of illicit sex. Now, we rightfully condemn illicit sex, but do we condemn the love of money? You know, Charles Spurgeon, the great Victorian preacher, he, he wrote something that relates to this. He, he said, he, he had read this, a Roman Catholic priest who had heard the confessions of some 2,000 persons said 
He had heard men confess heinous iniquities of every kind, even murder and adultery, but he had never heard any man confess covetousness. That was Francis of Assisi who actually said that. Spurgeon was quoting him. So, I, so that's, that's a reality. It was a reality back in the 12th century, obviously, and it's, and it's a reality today. You know, there, there are certain things that, man, that is sin, and we know that sin, and we're going to make sure everybody else knows it, and we're going to preach on that, and that's fine. That's good. We need to do that. But then there are other things that are equally sin, and for some reason, we just sort of bypass that. And so as we, as we look at the passage today, it's, it's going to force us to really take a look at this. So, so the first thing I want to do today is, is let's just look at this man that comes to Jesus. As we said, he's rich, he's young, he's a ruler. So here was a person who at a young age had already attained what most people never attain in a lifetime, and that is wealth and power. So he, he's attained this already. How old was he? Well, we don't know. Jesus was, Jesus was probably 31 at the time. You know, Jesus began his ministry when he was 30 years old, and he completed it at approximately 33. But it seems like this person was even younger, and, and maybe he was. So he was not only a person who was rich and powerful, but we know by the way he responded to Jesus Uh, he was a person who had a high moral and ethical standard. So he was, uh, you know, in many ways, he was serious about life and doing life right and doing it well. And and so when Jesus, you know, when when he asked him about how, how does one inherit eternal life, Jesus brings up the commandments and his response is, I've done all that. I've done all that from my youth. He basically said, I've been faithful to my wife. I I haven't stolen anything. I haven't borne false witness against my neighbor. I haven't deceived or cheated anyone. And I honor my parents. And through that, we could imagine that he would also honor the existing authority structures around him. This is a good guy. This is a great guy. This is a guy that you look at on the outside and think, man, this guy has got it all together. And of course, he was religious as well. And in some cultures still today, being religious is very much an important part of being a good person. And it was in that culture at the time there with Jesus. And yet, with all of that going for him, young and rich and powerful. And, and of course, he had to be good looking too because, you know, just young and rich and powerful people are good looking, right? <laughs> so we can throw that one in there. But he, so he's got all of that, but he himself recognizes that there's something lacking. Now in Mark's gospel, Jesus says to him, this is what you lack. But in the other Gospels, he actually asked. So he asked, what am I lacking? Jesus said, this is what you lack. So he recognizes it. And of course, that's why he comes to Jesus in the first place. Tim Keller put it in a modern context like this. He, he said, here's a man who is pulled together, has degrees from the right places, is on the partnership track, has already made millions, and is only 28 years old. Yet to his surprise, he finds himself seeking out gurus and rabbis saying, I'm still missing something. 
And so that, that picture is a picture that has been repeated over and over and over again and is, is a common reality today. You know, people are young, they're successful, they've got power, prestige, they're in all, you know, connected to all the right things and places and people and all of that, but they, they just know intuitively, you know, there's still something missing. And, and so we see, you know, we, we think sometimes because we read these reports that Christianity is dying in the United States. Well, that's not true for one, but what we do know is religion certainly isn't dying. People are very religious. And as a matter of fact, people like to identify as religious or spiritual. They just don't want to identify maybe with some organized religion. So we see all kinds of people like this today who, obviously, because they seek out this this spiritual or religious component, whether they verbalize it or not, the reality is they recognize, you know, all of this wealth, power, fame, whatever, has not fulfilled me internally. So we're surrounded by this. Now, he comes to Jesus. And let's pick up here in verse 17, where he comes to Jesus, this young man, and he says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good, but one that is God. That is a strange answer from Jesus. Now, I think most of us in here know Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? Well, we know Jesus, of course, he was good. Jesus was really the only one that was good. But he asked this man, why do you call me good? And then he reminds him, no one is good but God. And so, uh, you know, some might think that he's saying he's not good. But, but of course, that's not true. I think what Jesus is actually doing is he's hinting at something even more mind-boggling. And that is that he is God. And see, what we're going to see as we go on in the story, the problem with this guy who seemingly had it all together was that he didn't have the right God. That's the problem. And that's why I think Jesus very subtly slips in this reminder because he's going to address the the real issue here with this young man. Now, when Jesus says, we go on, you know, I'm, I'm kind of taking, we read the whole text, so I'm just sort of jumping around here. But when Jesus said, you know, he asked a question, what, what good thing can I do? Jesus said, you know the commandments. And then he, he stated some of those commandments. The interesting thing, though, is that Jesus stated the commandments in the second table of the law. Now, remember, the law of Moses, we're talking about the Ten Commandments here. They were written on two tablets of stone. So Jesus quotes from the second tablet, not from the first. The second tablet has to do with the horizontal relationship. It has to do with our relationship with others, other people. The first table of the law has to do with our relationship with God. The very first command, as a matter of fact, you know, is I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And so you see, this is really the problem. The man could say to the second table of the, of the law, I've done all of that since a youth. What do I still lack? Jesus says, 
sell everything you have. In other words, get rid of your false God and come and follow me, the true God. That's really what's happening in this conversation here between Jesus and this man. Now, so the problem was not that the man was rich. Let's understand that because people have misunderstood this. It's not that the man was rich. Riches are neither good nor evil. Riches are, are neutral. They're, they're not good or evil. It just depends on your attitude toward them and, and what you do with them. Now, I've heard people misquote the Bible saying, money is the root of all evil. The Bible does not say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And boy, if you just think about that, and you think about so many evil things in the world that are driven by the love of money. I mean, think about the drug trade. What is the drug trade all about in the end? It's all about money. It's all about people becoming filthy rich and living in opulence and luxury while everybody else is you know, strung out and living on the streets of New York City with heroin needles in their arm. But, but it's driven by money. What is the pornography industry? What is that driven by? It's a great evil in society, but it's driven by money. It's all about money. It's all about... So the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So let's just be clear on that. Now, the problem with wealth is that it often becomes a substitute for God. See, wealth becomes a substitute for God because wealth represents power and it you know, creates ability and opportunity. And so a person who's wealthy doesn't seem to need anything beyond themselves and what their money can buy. And so it easily becomes a substitute for God. And so the real problem with this man is that he has put his trust in riches rather than in God. And as I said, that, that we see that in the way Jesus responds to him. Sell what you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Get your life right with me, with, with God. That's what he's saying. Now, when Jesus said this, even his disciples were stunned. And one of the reasons why they were stunned is because in that culture, wealth was thought to be a sign of God's blessing. And in, and in one sense, it kind of was, because under the old covenant, part of the blessing of faithfulness to the covenant was prosperity. You know, it was national, and the nation disobeyed God for centuries and, you know, ended up in bondage to Rome at this point. But the, if there were individual people among the Jewish nation who were wealthy, they were automatically thought of as blessed by God. So the disciples are absolutely stunned because Jesus is telling this young guy who's wealthy and, and powerful and morally upright and religious, Jesus is telling him, you need to get rid of all that. Jesus is telling him he is an idolater. So th this is such a radical thing. And as we go on in the story, well, of course, Jesus tells the man what he has to do. 
and it says that he went away sad. This is a sad verse. He went away sad. He went away grieved, and he did that because he had great possessions. So apparently, at least at this point, he wasn't really willing to part with his possessions to follow Jesus. He wasn't really willing to trade in the false God of material wealth for the true God. Because as you can imagine, so much of his security, so much of his identity, all of these things are wrapped up in that. Now, Jesus as I said, he looks around. He knows what everybody's thinking. And he says in verse 23, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples, they were astonished at his words. What what is he talking about? But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? And that's the way we need to understand this. But here's the thing. It's hard to not trust in riches when you have them. That, that's where it gets really challenging. So Jesus first says, it's, for those who have riches, it's you know, hard for them to get in the kingdom. Some people think that Jesus is saying, you can't get in the kingdom if you're rich. No, he's not saying that. But what he is saying is that rich people have a hard time not trusting in their riches. And so he clarifies it here. But then he goes on to illustrate the seriousness of his point, he says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they were greatly astonished at this point, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Now, just a clarification here. I heard this as a younger Christian. Maybe you have heard this, that when Jesus says, you know, when he's talking about the camel going through the eye of a needle, some people have tried to kind of soften what Jesus was saying. And and I heard this as a young Christian that, well, he's not talking about the eye of a needle like a, you know, a needle that you're going to, you're going to put thread through. Uh, The eye of a needle, they, they said, was a small gate outside the city that would be open at night when the main gates of the city were closed. And, you know, people arriving at the city at night, and they would oftentimes arrive on camels, they would have to go through this small gate. Now, this was a challenge for the camel, but if you stripped the camel down and if you took off all of the burdens and everything, uh, you could, the camel could wiggle its way through. And so what they end up saying is that you know, if you kind of strip yourself down and if you, you know, you can wiggle your way in, um, that's what Jesus was talking about. Uh, No, he wasn't. Jesus was talking about a, a real camel and a real needle with an eye on it. Jesus is telling us that this is impossible. And that's what the, the, the illustration makes it clear. It's an impossibility. Those who trust in riches cannot enter the kingdom. It's not possible. Well, then who can be saved, the disciples say. And then Jesus adds, well, with God, all things are possible. See, God has a way of even dealing with the rich to bring them to a place where they no longer trust their riches. And then they can thereby enter the kingdom. So wealthy people 
we know this is a fact, wealthy people, even extremely wealthy people, have and still do enter the kingdom of God. So how does that happen based on what Jesus says here? Well, here it is. Their wealth is not their savior, it's their servant. And through it, they glorify God. See, again, let me say it. God is not against wealth. He's not against the accumulation of wealth. He's not against people pursuing wealth. But if we're going to do that, we must ultimately do it for his glory. Because, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Anything that any person will ever accumulate is only possible because God made it all. But, but that's the reality. So, you know, even now in our current cultural moment, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, capitalism is seen as a bad thing and socialism is beginning to be seen as a good thing. And it's the distribution of wealth and kind of like the hatred of the ultra wealthy and, you know, I mean, they talk about that. And sometimes it's like the wealthiest people in the world that are saying that stuff. So you're like, oh, maybe if you got rid of your stuff and then said it, we might take it more seriously. But uh, as long as you're living like you're living and preaching at us about how people shouldn't be rich, except you, evidently, uh, we're not going to really buy that. <laughs> at least I'm not going to buy that. Um, but, but, you know, again, I'm saying that because... You know, people, people, you know, people have even said something like, uh, well, socialism is the most consistent with a biblical uh, picture of what an economy should look like. Well, that, that isn't true. But, you know, be that as it may, uh, the, the major point that I want to make here, again, is that God is not against wealth. And God actually blesses people. But what he is against is people worshiping their riches and living for them and, and making them an idol and then oppressing other people and so forth, you know, as a result of that. So, so the difference is whether, whether wealth is your savior or wealth is your servant. Now, how does one know if money is your savior rather than your servant? Or how do you know if your identity is in your wealth rather than in Christ? Now, of course, for many people, this is their identity. Their identity is all about the money. And you know probably that this is true, that many people are so consumed with having a, a, a wealthy identity that they will actually fake being wealthy just to, to maintain the, the image that, you know, I am a rich person. And you can find people all around Orange County and L.A. County and Southern California who are doing that very thing. They come off as, you know, wealthy, successful and all of that. And then, boy, you see the debt they're in and all that. It's a, it's a facade. But it's an image that they're, they're trying to uphold because that's their identity. So how do you know if that's you? Well, here's a couple of things. Number one. If your money is your savior rather than your servant, you can't give it away. You can't give it away. And you especially can't give large amounts of it away. And you can't even give it to the work of God. Now, you know what's ironic? And you, you probably have read these statistics as well. Do you know that the most wealthy people are the most stingy people? For the month of 
of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Embodied, Transgender Identities, the Church and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. In today's culture, both Christians and non-Christians experience incongruence with their gender, but the church has generally avoided this culturally sensitive topic. So how can we address this issue from a biblical perspective and love the transgender community more widely, both inside and outside the church? And how can we love them in compassionate and practical ways? Well, in his book, Embodied, Preston adds his voice to the conversation with sound biblical research that is expressed with pastoral sensitivity, compassion, grace, and love. To understand transgender identities from a biblical, psychological, and scientific perspective, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order Embodied, Transgender Identities, The Church, and What the Bible Has to Say by Preston Sprinkle. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.